You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 49 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast, a show for September 2017, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have an absolutely fabulous panel that is fairly well spread around the planet, and also we have two newbies to introduce everyone to, so that'll be fun. Uh, first, though, before we get to the newbies, let's start with the godfather of Mac podcasting, the wonderful Adam Christensen from the MacCast is back with us. Hi, Adam. Hi, how are you doing? It's great to have you back. I always back. get embarrassed the, when people introduce me like that. But you're the original and best Mac podcaster, the MacCast. <laughs> Before yeah, there was any mention of long, like an iOS just, anything. It's a nice way of saying I'm really old and I've been around a long time. Seasoned, I believe, <laughs> is, is the other euphemism for that. <laughs> now, what are, Well, thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, I say always a pleasure to have you on, Adam, especially since like with the time zones as they are, you're getting up stupid early, so we, we double appreciate it we, we, on a not, Saturday. It's not too things. bad. The cat would have woken me up already by now anyway, so. Mean cat. Um, one of our newbies then is Patrick Beja from French Spin is with us for the first time. Hi, Patrick. Hey, how's it going? I'm so glad we can finally make this happen and I can be on Let's Talk Apple. We are delighted to have you. Now, since the listeners haven't heard you before, do you just want to give a very quick intro of the other podcasts you do and, you know, like, you know, so people have an idea of who you are? Sure, yeah. Uh, I have been podcasting for like over 10 years, so I guess I'm not as old school as Adam, but, uh, you know, I've been Almost doing it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I do shows in French and English, mainly focusing on tech and uh, gaming, but I also do another show about, let's say, international news called The Phillies Club. But yeah, mainly tech and gaming. It's, it's, I mean, the Phillies Club, I'm a huge fan of the Phillies Club. That's, that's how I got to know you. And it's calling it news is, is kind of selling it short because it's much more than that. It's about the, the sort of understanding what it is to be a human being in other parts of the world. It, <laughs> it, it is the everyday, you know, what is what does it mean to be an Indian? You know, what does it mean to live in Trump's America? What does it mean to be a British person during the Brexit debacle? Like it, it, yeah, it's more than just it's, news, right? It's it's the whole I mean, zeitgeist. You're making it sound like amazingly deep and uh, and profound, which I like. I like. I, I will subscribe to that description. Um, yeah, basically, we get people from different cultures, backgrounds, opinions, and we try to confront our ideas in a respectful manner, which I think is is very difficult these days. So we get people from, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, like uh, from India, Thailand, Saudi Arabia, and of course, you know, Europe and the US and all of those countries. And also sometimes people who just happen to have different ideas that we might be uh, very adverse to, like, uh, as you mentioned as well, being uh, uh, having voted for Donald Trump or having voted for the Brexit. And again, being respectful in the way we discuss things and trying to understand rather than 
not necessarily agree that it's not always. Well, the yeah, case that's not the point, right? You're not trying to get to the point where everyone agrees with you. You get to, trying to get to the point where people stop shouting at each other. And I think your show <laughs> which succeeds. Is, you know, which is, it which it is becomes very helpful to bring it back to our uh, topic today when you have to talk to people who are, for example, fans of Apple and fans of Android, and you can use all of what you've acquired during that show and apply apply it there. That's uh, extremely useful. As it's about as polarized, really, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, th- th- thanks for joining us, Patrick, and hopefully you enjoy yourself. Um, right. Now, well. we then have our second first-timer on the same show. So, Simon Parnell from the Essential Apple Podcast, right here on the MyMac Podcasting Network. Simon, welcome aboard. It is great to have you. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, uh, it's been a pleasure to be invited. Excellent. Uh, you recently had me on as a guest on your show, so um, well, it's nice. To, it's nice to be in a position to return the favor. Um, do, do you want to just, uh, since the listeners haven't heard you before, do you want to just quickly let them know uh, what it is you do in the podcasting sphere? Uh, yeah, of course. Well, I'm one part of the uh, Essential Apple Podcast here on the My Mac Network, and uh, I co-host co-host with with Mark Mark Chapel, and we talk about apple and ios and just tech that catches our attention really and uh try and pretend that we're a proper show <laughs> sounded pretty proper to me <laughs> fun discussions yes. interesting topics what more do you want exactly but uh i don't know mark's been doing it a bit longer than i have i've only actually taken up podcasting basically uh, at the start of this year so i really am a bit of a newbie but uh I seem to have got the hang of it, I think. Well, you, you talk into the fluffy end of the microphone and the rest takes care of itself. Uh, that's, yeah, that's about right, I think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks thanks for joining us. And again, hopefully hopefully you have fun with us here today. And then finally, I think it's been a while since we've had him on, but the tech doctor, Dr. Robert Carter, is back with us again. Hi, Robert. Hi, Bart. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. Great panel. And wow, when you say let's talk Apple this time, you have a... 104 links in your show notes. It's been a busy <laughs> month, right? Um, and it was just, I, I just, I couldn't figure out how to weed it down any less. So I just basically went, no, I'm going to stick all the links in because they have informed my opinions and everything, right? That's basically what I've been reading all month. Um, so the listeners, when the show is published, if you go to letstalk.ie, you will find links to all the stories that have informed my thinking on this month's news. Um, it's it's one of those shows where we're not really going to have many topics, but I imagine none of the three main topics we do have, or did I get up to four in the end? None of, none of the main topics I did pick are going to be short, so we should probably just get stuck in. Uh, but before we do, just I just want to run through some follow-ups to stuff we've talked about in recent shows. So we've mentioned a few times the, uh, the British company Imagine Technologies, who were for a long time making graphics chips for Apple. And then Apple said, well, actually, we're going to do our own like we do our own CPUs. Um, and that made them a bit cranky and their shares plummeted. Uh, but then they put themselves up for sale and they have now been bought by a Chinese investment company for 550 million US pounds or 750 US, sorry, UK pounds or 750 million US dollars, which isn't bad going for um, a company that seemed like it might be quite doomed. So I, I think they're doing OK. Uh, the Toshiba flash memory sale has taken another few turns. It's such a confusing story, this one. It keeps chopping and changing. Um, 
We are now at a situation where, assuming no court steps in and changes everything, uh, the current situation is that the so-called Bain Consortium, which includes Apple, have purchased Toshiba's flash memory business for 18 billion US dollars. Uh, This is after a previous sale which had been agreed with Toshiba fell through. So maybe this one will fall through too, hard to know. Toshiba certainly are not precisely happy about all of this and um, they are in court asking that a judge step in and uh, make this go away or make this go back to them or whatever. So... This at the moment there is a decision, but how how that decision will stand up to time, time will tell. So we may well be following up on this one yet again. Uh, the ongoing Qualcomm Apple battle royale continues. Although um, nothing bad happened to Apple this month, but uh, Qualcomm had two rulings against them. Um, I'm just going to quote from Apple Insider because that sums it up pretty well. First, Qualcomm failed to force Apple's manufacturing partners to make royalty payments prior to a determination of what the total disputed loyalty should be. And second, Qualcomm lost an effort to stop Apple from pursuing antitrust cases against it in other countries. So they tried to file some motions, didn't work out for them. You know, none of it is earth chattering, but nonetheless, it wasn't the best. You know, definitely Apple did well, Qualcomm not so good. Uh, Next, we talked last time, quite a long time, about education and Apple's role in education. And they announced another deal, their Digital Flagship University, which is a program with Ohio State, where they're going to give students iPad Pros with Apple Pencil, smart keyboards, and a bunch of software uh, in the hope that that will make them better students. So I guess we'll see how that goes. We talked an awful lot last time about AOR, Augmented Reality. And there is now a section in the App Store if you're you know, keen to check out what all this AR is about. Well, all the apps are now collected together. And finally, the EU's campaign against large US companies and their taxes continues. Um, the EU are taking Ireland to court because Ireland haven't yet collected the tax from Apple that neither Ireland nor Apple believe are owed. And Amazon find themselves as the new Apple and Luxembourg as the new Ireland, uh, where the Commission have similarly just invented tax rates out of their rear passage uh, and say that Amazon magically owe Luxembourg 250 million uh, euro, which I guess is very cheap compared to Apple's billions that they owe Ireland, apparently. So that's that's our follow-up. So now we can get stuck into actual news that happened in September. So uh, the first little collection of stories I have is just some notable staff changes. Um, Apple is continuing to hire people from the television world. We have uh, former three more former Sony TV execs, former head of current programming, Kim Rosenfield, former vice president of drama development, Max R. Arison, and former director of creative affairs, Ali Woodruff. So I'm not sure how much of a discussion there is to be had around this, but basically it would appear that Apple are definitely, definitely serious about this television contraption. Yeah, it's... Well, it would seem so, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's got to be a theme <laughs> on this episode, isn't it? Everyone's starting to speak at the same time. Um, all right, I'll I'll go very quickly. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that they've been trying stuff with their, um, you know, carpool karaoke things, and they're gonna try and and produce content as well. So it would it would make sense that they're trying to staff up because this is an entirely different business from actually uh, creating hardware or services in that uh, area. Actually, producing content is something they need people uh, who know what they're doing to uh, join the company. Yeah, definitely. Anyone else want to chime in on that? 
I think I think Patrick, uh, I think you've nailed it to some extent. I think he's about. <laughs> I think he's about summed it up. Uh, I, I agree, really. I mean, the. I'm not quite sure if Apple really ought to be getting into doing content, but they obviously seem to be toying with the idea. And if you're going to do it in the usual Apple way, you need to go out and get a team of people who know what they're doing. And that seems to be what they're doing, doesn't it? They're gathering a team of experts in their field, and uh, I guess they're trying to put together a, a dream team to kick off their efforts. Yeah. It's not as if My, Apple are in danger of going bankrupt, so they they can experiment, right? Right. Yeah, I think they, they might have a few quid down the back of the couch they could throw at it, yeah. My only thing that I'll add, because I think Patrick hit it right, you know, they're getting really serious about this. We had the news that they're going after, you know, some sort of Game of Thrones level, you know, drama series that they want to put together, uh, which is why I think they picked up a drama development guy, right? Yeah, it seems a sensible um, thing to do. So, yeah, they're they're recognizing finally that if we're going to jump into this, uh, you know, I think they wanted to partner for a long time, but they couldn't find a partner uh, no one seemed to want to play ball with them. I think a lot of concerns over what happened with music and iTunes and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, and Apple has a history of kind of disrupting, <laughs> disrupting different kinds of uh, businesses. But um, from the cautionary side of things, you know, I, I, I do worry a little and I, I find it a little bit ironic that they're picking up um, Sony executives because I was a child of the 80s. And for people who lived in the 80s, Sony was a massive computer electronics company. Like, that was what they did. They were sort of the, the leaders in that space. Some, well, they had the iPod like a, before a, the iPod, right? The, the Walkman Yeah, someone, was, somewhat like yeah. a fruit company we now know uh, in, in current times, right? They're sort of dominating consumer electronics space. Um, and then Sony started getting into music and television, or more broadly, I think they were somewhat into it at the time. But basically, I think the company spread itself thin and there was lots of opportunity then for other companies to come in and sort of disrupt at least their computer electronics business. And whether, you know, they cared about that or not, I don't know. But uh, for me, you know, I am a fan of Apple because of their products. Um, and I know a lot of this stuff will go to support those products, but I just hope that it's not the kind of thing that continues to disrupt Apple at a time when I think they are already a little distracted by a lot of the other things that they have going on. Um, and we'll maybe get into some of this a little bit later with the operating system stuff. But I think, you know, their software and operate, operating system divisions, I think, are tending to show signs of, of sort of struggling. And I don't know if that's because they're being stretched thin. I don't know if that's other reasons for that. But I do worry that if suddenly now they've, they're running a, a massive music business and now a massive entertainment business and trying to run a you know, all the other software services, businesses and do hardware and everything, um, you know, even with all that money, it, it's hard to scale up and get really good people and retain good people. You know, it just becomes a lot of moving parts. So, yeah, although we don't have a micromanager in charge anymore, so maybe it's easier for Apple to spread themselves thin, whereas in the Steve Jobs era, yeah. Steve did everything. There's only there was only one Steve. And that, that yeah, helped. again, so that that. There's just a, a little bit of concern. I, I, I'm not saying Apple's going to go under or Apple is doomed or anything like that, but you know, I'm cautiously watching this stuff. Going, hmm, I hope, I hope this doesn't, you know, disrupt things internally at Apple. 
To me, it's kind of intriguing, actually, because if you think back about a year ago, it seemed like uh, so many people were upset with Apple for not taking good enough care of the Mac, especially uh, for the for the pros. And people were upset about, you know, no headphone jack on the iPhone, blah, a, a lot of discontent. People were grumbling a lot. I don't hear as much grumbling this year. And the question is, has Apple taken care of its hardware and its software adequately so that it can now spread into other things, this entertainment sector, and people will not be too worried about it. That, that's a really interesting question to me. I imagine it'll cycle yeah. again, right? So the hardware is okay for now, and then about 12 months from now, the grumbling will start again, and they'll have to refocus on that, and then they'll grumble because they're not doing content or something. I think the grumbling comes in waves. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. You can't with, keep all the people happy. With yeah. everybody trying to slow down the the pace of innovation that's become insane too. I mean, that there's maybe a benefit out of this that if Apple can slow down hardware and software releases to where the in between stuff is more maintenance sort of things, or you know, I have no problem if Apple wants to bring out a new iPhone every eighteen months or twenty four months. Uh, it'll be better for my pocket, but you know, also I think it'll stop the insanity of you know trying to invent features or reasons for people to you know want to spend more money. Now that doesn't ultimately end up as good for their bottom line, but if that can be supplemented with other things like services and, and cloud sorts of things uh, to sort of balance that out, that may in the long run also be a, a benefit, right, for all of us that yeah. we're not having this constant. We have to have some new thing every three months. You know, and, and, and this consumer mature, sort of right? consumerism that is ha- has sort of taken over the tech industry. Like uh, it, it's become that's also become a little insane, in my opinion. Yeah, but it's going to mature because in the early days of the PC, like it really mattered that there was a new a new a new chip from Intel every year, or a new a new Apple product every year, a new new Mac or whatever. But now that the, you know, the laptop has settled into a well-established technology. You can go three years between major releases and no one really cares apart from a little bit of grumbling. And the, right. the phone is heading that way. Um, and arguably the iPad landed that way from day one. It was a device which from the very first moment people used for years and years and years. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm okay with that. And if, if that means they're freed up to kind of focus in other areas that can benefit the larger business, that's great. Yeah, and um, you know they get money from me for iCloud every single month. They don't get money from me for a Mac every single year. They don't get it every two years. They don't even get it every three years. Well, I'll tell you what, Bart. Um, I've just, this week, in fact, took delivery of uh, a new Mac at work, a 27-inch uh, nice. 5K iMac. Yes, uh, and that's been landed on my desk, um, and that's very nice. But replaces my 2011 <laughs> machine yeah. so that machine and that is about average actually yeah. in in my company um and the the 2011 mac is not redundant it's moving down the line and it's uh, going to my apprentice to replace the 10 or 11 year old iMac he's currently working on so you're quite right you know these we could stand you know to have um a mac release that you know every 18 months or so i i think you know even even then maybe every 24 months and the same with the os this somewhat mad push to have an os release every september regardless is 
That's not well, it's pure marketing, right? I suppose. And it's, well, also, as you say, you're, you're, you're trying to create features where there are no really features to be had. I mean, the OS market is, what, 30-odd years old now? Um, you um, can't keep yeah, coming up with new things all the time. There was no hanging fruit, right? You couldn't copy and paste. They had all of these really obvious glaring holes, and so that that kept them going for quite some years. But they've they've been filled in now. Like iOS isn't missing really obvious features. I think no, exactly. They've created the problem for themselves because everyone got used to, as you mentioned, um, the yearly updating of iOS with features that were actually important at the time, maybe for the first six years or so. Um, but I think they are kind of solving it as well by uh, creating alternating like kind of a TikTok cycle mm. where one of the updates is actually uh, significant and another one is much more, um, you know, minor, like we've seen with uh, macOS, the, the yeah. Sierra, High Sierra. I can't even remember the other ones, but basically the, the, the yeah, exactly. And so people have gotten used to the idea, even though they don't say it themselves, like Our, this update is kind of crap, you can skip it, like it doesn't matter. Uh, obviously, they, they're not going to say that. But I think we're we're kind of entering that realm. Um, most areas of uh, of the what they're doing, and that's where what we're seeing even with uh, hardware on the iPhone side, where really the iPhone. I mean, maybe we're going to get to that in a little bit, but the iPhone eight is you know an upgrade to the seven, but kind of the 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 phone is still what the six was a few years ago, and. We're sort of for a few years we had like people were attached to that word revolution, like it's revolutionary, and people were angry when the, the their yearly phone wasn't revolutionary, like um, sort of deriding the idea that adding revolutionary things when it was just a, 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 an upgrade to an existing device, when Apple themselves kind of didn't really say anything about how revolutionary that thing was so people are sort of catching up now and getting used to the idea that yeah you're not going to have it's a nice upgrade if you if you got a device three years ago but unless you're someone crazy like adam or any (laughs) of us i'm sure you don't necessarily need to get it every single year so they're sort of integrating that uh flaw of yearly updates into their designs by either alternating between minor updates and major ones or just slowing down even though they do have to have one update. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And actually, when they went, when the OSs went free, it took an awful lot of pressure off them because they would have had to invent features for High Sierra if they were still charging for it. But they didn't have to invent features. They just they did the file system, they did a few little tweaks, and they carried on. And that's no bad thing, in my humble opinion. Anyway, I'm going to move us along. So the other the other bit of Apple staffing news that made the news in September, because we were talking about staffing, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> is that long-time Apple general counsel Bruce Sewell, who, um, who who was instrumental in standing up to the FBI last year, or was that the year before? Recently. Um, he is to retire later in this year, and Apple have announced that he is to be replaced by former Supreme Court clerk Catherine Adams. So I don't know much about her. 
uh, other than that she has big shoes to fill. But if she used to work for the Supreme Court, she probably knows what she's doing. So uh, I'm not sure if there's anything really for us to dig into here. Um, and in fact, given how big our main stories are, I'm just going to assume there's nothing for us to dig into. And I'm going to jump us straight into the main news for the month. So I've tried to put some structure on this month's Apple News, and that has not been easy. Uh, I've decided we'll talk hardware first and then the software. Um, and I've decided to go from what I consider to be the least interesting to the most interesting in both categories. So you can read this as a Rorschach test of my personality, but I'm going to start with the 4K Apple TV. So Apple announced a new Apple TV. It does 4K. It does HDR. Is there anything else that should be said about the new Apple 4K Apple TV? Um, I think there's one minor thing that needs to be said, which is the price of 4K content, 4K movies, um, are basically the big thing that they announced wasn't so much the 4K um, hardware itself, but the fact that the the movies are going to be priced uh, at the same price as the HD movies were, and you also get a free upgrade to 4K purchased the hd version um now incidentally you don't get to download them you only get which some people i'm sure might be upset about but uh still the price meant that competition wise now we've seen amazon um getting prices lower on the and so by a side uh thing i think they're they're kind of kick-starting the uh the availability of 4K everyone, which is welcome because a lot of people who had 4K TVs didn't have a lot of stuff to feed it to, to feed to it. And you have the chicken and egg. There's not a lot of people buying 4K tellies because there's no 4K content. There's not much 4K content because yeah. there's not much tellies. It sort of goes round and round in circles. But yeah, I guess it, I guess that that is significant. It helps. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would absolutely agree. Uh, another knock that's been going around, but again, I think it's going to change because the Apple TV is now 4K and, and more devices are 4K, is that um, a lot of the content that Apple is distributing right now is actually upscaled stuff that you know that they've, they've gone in and, and converted to 4K, but it was all originally shot in less than 4K. So, you know, there's that going on too, but it, that's all going to change, you know, moving forward as more 4K stuff gets out there, then more stuff is going to be produced in 4K and then they can master it in 4K. So, but I, I know some people were kind of complaining, well, yeah, they're delivering 4K content, but this was actually 2K stuff that they just, you know, upscaled, up-resed or made yeah. look better. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say in Apple's defense that, uh, that's not really their fault, is it? Because a lot no, of cinema but, but, releases are actually still 2K. Until people right. actually start shooting in 4K, um, what what are you going to do? Um, but, yeah, other than that, I did hear some grumbling. I mean, I don't have a 4K TV. I'm not interested in a 4K TV. In fact, I can barely tell the difference between 720 and 1080, but uh, that's that's just me. But I do have an Apple TV, and I love it, and I'm, I'm glad that they've released a 4K TV, and I'm think I think you're right that it is going to kickstart uh, for a lot of people the availability of 4K, and uh, yeah, that grumble I think that's just a it's a midway step, isn't it? And I think if Apple are producing 4K by upscaling 2K content, that's just a way to make people who've got a 4K 
device feel that they they haven't wasted their money and oh well what that's all very nice but look we've only got six movies we can watch well i think it was allison was saying it's going to be the world's most expensive apple tv because now she's now she's going to have to buy herself a, four, a 4k television yeah <laughs> yeah I didn't say. It's, not the, it's not the it's not the hundred and fifty dollars you got to fork out for the for the apple device is it it's the two and a half grand you're gonna go and blow on a tv yeah Okay, um, I'm going to yeah. move us on Sorry. then, unless someone has oh. a very strong opinion of the 4K Apple TV. <laughs> one one other quick thing sure. to mention, um, just so people know, because this they'll read that it got knocked too for not having do, the Dolby Atmos. Is that how you say it? Audio, the highest end Dolby audio. But Apple has already announced that they will be adding that in the future. So, as a software feature, or yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Basically, uh, so they were being knocked because some of the some of the less expensive streaming boxes like the Roku's and things like that, uh, the new Fire TVs that were announced, I think, almost a week after Apple's Apple yeah. TV uh, support the Dolby uh, uh, Atmos. I think it's ATMOS Atmos Audio. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's what certainly how yeah, I'd pronounce so it's it. It's coming. Yeah. OK, it's well, that's, that's yeah. good to know. And it's good that it's I do have one more thing. Uh, Go on. I do have one thing to say, and that is. Uh, it's probably not quite worth buying a new one just for this, but the remote now has a ring around the menu button, which helps you to orient it in the dark. Well, that's no bad feel. thing. That's no bad thing. The amount no, of times I thought my trackpad is broken, but it's not broken. I just had the sudden thing the wrong way around. Yeah, it's uh, it's the slipperiest, most easy to lose and difficult to orient in the dark uh, remote ever. And now there's a white ring around the menu button which is slightly raised, so you can actually figure out which way up it is by feel. Hooray! Yeah, I could do with some rubber instead of some shiny metal finish. It, it, it still could do with some improvement, but that's a start. Thank you, Apple. <laughs> um, so the next device I've sort of thrown into the mix is the Apple Watch Series 3. Not because I'm not a fan of the Apple Watch. I'm a gigantic fan of the Apple Watch. But it's just it's not as big of an update in some ways because basically... Better battery, better brains, and oh yeah, you can have cellular now. And that is kind of the landmark feature, I think, for the Apple Watch Series 3 is the ability to to be free of your iPhone and to have your Apple Watch and it will take calls when you're out paddleboarding in the middle of a lake, according to the Apple video. So, you know, that, that does seem to be the thing. Um, and... Oh yeah, really, really nice looking new sports bands that are based off of Velcro um, or hooking. I think this plastic. is is kind of like the Apple Watch itself. It's kind of useless, except for the few people who kind of think they can get a, some use out of it. Not some use, um, Patrick. The, I'm sorry, it is not use. It is the single best device I have ever owned of any kind. I, I think so. You you're part have, of the. Yeah, you either you're, adore your Apple you're Watch. You're part of the very few people. Yeah. You get some use out of it. Well, not some use. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I don't think anyone gets some use. I think it's basically, it's useless or it's fantastic. I, I don't think right. there's an in-between. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I use it sometimes. Okay. So I think I, it's, in the middle. I, for me, it's been fabulous. And actually, I went from the Series 0, the original mm-hmm. Apple Watch, to the Series 3 with LTE and the three is much, much faster, much more solid in performance for me than the Series Zero was, which is no big surprise since it's a couple years have gone by. But I'm loving the Series. But did you get some three. use out of the LTE? 
yeah, I was out yesterday and left my phone at home, which was kind of nice, just not have to carry my 7 Plus with me. And I was able to take a phone call while I was out and uh, it worked great. So, yeah, it's it does – it works for me at least so far as advertised. I suppose if you have a bigger phone like the 7 Plus, the advantage of leaving your phone behind is even bigger than if you have, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're still sticking with the smaller form factors like the iPhone SE or whatever. So what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, is that the iPhone 10 will render the use of the series, the Apple Watch kind of null because it's a smaller phone. All right, I don't know about that. They are very, very cool. different devices. <laughs> I, I, you I'm know, trying I think, to troll you. Yeah, I know you are, but how are that you're not <laughs> picking the bait? What, no, it, what it, is interesting? So go, go ahead, Adam. Sorry, I was just say what, what is interesting, and I, I didn't even really. I mean, I've been thinking about this in another way for for a while now, um, with the aging of the iPhone and the emergence of voice interfaces. Um, I think we're in a process of moving toward that sort of experience for mobile more and more. Hmm. And so the Apple Watch Series 3, I guess, is now interesting from the fact that this may ultimately be some form of device that ends up replacing the phone at some po- at some point in the future. I'm not saying right away. I'm not saying, <laughs> you know, in, in the next year or two, but you might look to this, you know, update with adding cellular or other technologies to, and, and that coupled with the, uh, the AirPods as to the future of how we might be doing mobile communication and mobile, uh, mobile computing, at least in the smallest form factor. So where, you know, I think Saturday Night Live used to have the joke about the, the iPods eventually becoming so small that you couldn't see them, right? But mm-hmm. this may be the iPhone becoming so small that you can't see it anymore. Wow, I would have to say about this. I think <laughs> this is kind of wishful thinking. And the mm-hmm. issue with that thing is that, I mean, yes, you can talk on the phone and listen to music. And for that, yes, I could see it becoming uh, a significant, like a, a valuable, usable item. Even though if you do that with LTE, you probably are going to run through your battery really, really fast. Um, but for every other thing that we do with our phones, you mm-hmm. just need the screen and the real estate. So right. it, it, you, I don't see how you could translate uh, okay. types of users to the to the watch. And if you could, then it would already have been done. Uh, I, I have an answer for you there, too. Uh, if you notice a lot of technologies that Apple have been involved with recently are uh, augmented reality. And they're also very heavily invested from what we know in the research side of things into looking into uh, heads up displays in various forms, Um, you know, glasses being one of those obvious ones. But I know they also are looking at contact lens technologies and other technologies um, where, yeah, you would still have a display. It just wouldn't be connected to a, a phone necessarily. So, again, I'm not saying course, this is happening right. well, next I mean, year. Yes, or, if you, you know. if you include ensemble with the watch uh if you include a heads-up display of some kind of course that would change yeah. things i would agree there yeah yeah so I, it's again, quite I interesting for the voiceover user the uh, voiceover works just as well on the watch as it does on the iphone and it doesn't matter what size the screen is so it, it's sort of interesting you know there's so many perspectives on this honestly 
Actually, hang on a second. Right, so just a couple of years ago, in that you, future. You, you, you said you had a, 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 the plus size phone, but as a visually impaired user, what, I'm really curious why you went for the big phone. Well, one of the ways that we enter data if you're blind on the phones is using something that Apple created called Braille screen input. Right. And so you put your phone in, uh, uh, turn it into in landscape mode and you use uh, three fingers on each hand to type on the screen as if you were simulating typing on a, a, a Braille writing machine. Oh. And so the plus size phone is the perfect size for entering text data in that way and that's one of the primary reasons i went to the plus plus you've got more ram you you know this audio is a bit better on the speakers are are a bit better on the plus okay. there are there are several reasons but that would be the primary one was for the braille screen input i think i i do think the iphone 10 will be just about a good size for that braille screen input also better cameras too right better cameras which is good for ocr for yeah. because we we i take a lot of uh it, you know pictures of images of text and have that text recognized and better the better the camera the better ocr you get okay that makes perfect sense okay no th thanks for that robert because it, it just occurred to me that i didn't understand why but now that you've explained that it, it makes complete and perfect sense so thank you um, when Apple first brought out the watch, they didn't. I don't think Apple knew what it was for, because if you remember the very first Apple Watch keynote, I think the, the biggest criticism it got was that there was no narrative. It didn't tell a story of what problem the device was solving, and they they sort of threw everything at the wall and saw what would stick. But this time, it's pretty clear what stuck. It's fitness. I mean, that is the reason I am such a complete adherent to the Apple Watch is because. I single-handedly credit that watch from taking me from the medical diagnosis of morbid obesity to being described medically as having an athlete's physique. Now, it took two and a half years of hard work, but the tool I needed to give me the data I needed to apply my sciencey brain to this problem was the Apple Watch. The Apple Watch tells me exactly how many calories, well, not exactly, but, you know, pretty darn accurately, how many calories I'm burning every day. My food diary tells me how many calories I'm eating every day. I balance the two of them up and all as well. So I I really credit that device with giving me the power to change my life completely. I was on a bad road health-wise and now I'm doing pretty darn well. So that's why I'm such a gigantic Apple Watch fan. But if you looked at the keynote, it was all about, you know, being able to go paddleboarding in the middle of a lake and take a call, the new sports bands being even more comfortable for when you're getting all sweaty and sporty. I mean, it, it seems clear to me, oh, the heart rate tracking, new feature. Apple seems to have noticed that what they have here is a health device, first and foremost. And it's probably a good thing they've noticed that instead of trying to make it send your heartbeat to your partner and let you scribble on the screen. Right. <laughs> now, interestingly... Uh... I have a, an Apple Watch Series Zero. Um, I didn't buy it new. I got it secondhand. So by the time I got mine, we were on uh, Watch OS 3, mm -hmm. which I'm told by many people was the first time they really got it right. Yes. Um, and I use mine mostly for notifications and and that sort of thing. I, okay. I barely use the activity. I'm not... I'm not yeah. terribly unfit, but I don't run or walk. Or uh, I, I listen to my teachers when they said never run with scissors, but I 
only heard the first half. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I guess the activity thing does at least make me look at them and say, oh, well, I have at least completed the, the red ring, the standing up enough time. Which is uh, an easy one to but, get, but it actually makes a big difference if you're working in an office. It, it makes you more alert if uh, every hour you go for a little spin around the office. Yes, I suppose it does, because I do tend to get out of my chair and, get, you know, have a circuit of my office. Yeah, I do I do a lap of the floor. Just to, and, and just, yeah, just, just being you off know, your chair. Yeah, just go to the coffee machine and back. But yeah. that's, that, that's something, isn't it? You know, um, or go down the stairs, go outside, take breath, come back in. Uh, but I... I use it mostly for notifications, and but the thing that I do think they're, they're working on and I think is going to be big uh, is, for those of us who are not using it for the activity functions, is the use of, the, you know, this like static heart monitoring and possibly mm. blood pressure and glucose monitoring. Uh, a sort of, so those are health-related, but they don't have to be fitness if you relate it as such if you know what i mean sure, they're not sure. sports related i mean if they brought out one that uh said no i can keep an eye on your heart rate for you and tell you you really ought to go and see the doctor your blood pressure is low and your heart rate is elevated then you know that could possibly be a big seller and might indeed motivate more people to look after themselves better but uh i do I do still think that there is a lot of utility in the notifications and a lot of people like me, I, I will admit that I bought it purely for the notifications and the on-screen ability to just check yeah. the weather and flick it away. That, sort well, that of is true, actually, because in an office environment, it's in a meeting you can subtly glance at your wrist to see a notification in a way that if you were to take out your phone, you would, well, you'd be a very, very rude person. Yeah, and, and you know, it's coming coming at it from from where I look at the uh, the Apple Watch. There, first of all, I work as a psychologist at a university, and so they've not only moving toward physical health, but they're looking at mental health a little bit with the breathing. Mm-hmm app on the watch where you teach people to slow themselves down and take a moment to breathe and settle yourself. It's kind of a mindfulness process. That's interesting to me. But the other thing that's really been great for me is that because of the fact that the watch can emit a silent alarm on my wrist, I'm able to know without anyone realizing it that it's time for my 45-minute psychological counseling appointment to end. Yes. Yeah, so the, the silent notifications. So yeah, the silent notifications. I'd forgotten actually how revolutionary that is because I've had my watch since the Series Zero. But you're you're absolutely right. The ability for you to be told something which no one in your physical presence knows you were told. That is significant. Really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, you can yeah, you can uh, you can double tap on the watch with voiceover running, and the watch will tap out the time in vibrations. <laughs> so, you don't have Absolutely. to. It doesn't have to say it aloud. It just taps it onto your wrist, and so you can check the time in a meeting without anyone knowing that you've checked the time. Although there's one caveat there, I discovered the hard way one time that when you double tap and get the time, the watch actually lights up for a second. Oh, well, I love that idea. Though, is it tap the time right to you? That's that's very cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyone else? Because I, I just realized we're, we're we're seriously running behind time here. Uh, anyone want to jump in on anything else before we move on to the iPhone 8? Okay. So the next the next thing we got then was the the evolutionary iPhone as opposed to the revolutionary iPhone. So the iPhone 8 looks awfully similar to an iPhone 7, which looks awfully similar to an iPhone 6 and 6S. Um, I think it's fair to say that the, the biggest thing Apple pushed was the fact that this thing's brain is on rocket fuel. Uh, the A11 Bionic processor is, by all accounts, an absolute beast. Um, I believe uh, Tom's guide said that the iPhone 8 is the world's fastest phone. It's not even close, was their headline. So this thing appears to have an absolutely stonking brain. And then the other thing it has is um, what I'm going to call contact charging, which everyone else calls wireless charging, despite the ever-present presence of wires. Um, and that's that's sort of kind of the, the, the headline features, I think. I don't think I'm being unfair to the device. No, I think all glass. pretty much nailed it. Oh, yes, it's all glass. But that's partly for the uh, inductive charging, really. Yes, to, to much, the, uh, yes, to let the electricity through. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I a, think you're actually part missing... a fashion statement and, and partly for the inductive charging. Yeah, sorry, I was I was interjecting uh, by saying I think you're missing the one of the biggest feature, which sounds evolutionary and kind of is, but is getting much more use from everyone uh, than actually even the uh, new Bionic chip. It's the uh, camera, which is much better and has gotten an incredible rating on uh, DxO Mark, even though the um, Galaxy S8 uh, Note. Yeah, I have uh, deep issues same... with DxO Mark. I, I, don't, I don't think it's worth the paper it's not written on. But yes, it did get right. pretty good yeah. rates. That's, I mean, it's, it's let's say it's viewed. Um, and I mean, we're, we're sort of getting in that area where a bunch of phones are getting these kinds of, uh, uh, you know, quality bumps. And from anecdotal evidence from friends who have been trying it, everyone agrees that it is actually a significant improvement um, to the previous, uh, you know, iPhone, which were already great. Mm-hmm. So I, I think... All of the other things are kind of nice to have, but people aren't really going to get that much use out of it. Um, Although the AR is probably going to be making use of the uh, CPU. But um, yeah, overall, it's... I think... It's overshadowed by the iPhone 10, but it's probably a bigger, a bigger deal. Uh, the iPhone 8 is probably a bigger deal than the iPhone 7 was compared to the 6s. Yeah, even though, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I, I'm sort of in the situation where I, I, I'm on two-year contract, so my two-year contract is up. So I'm comparing it to an iPhone 6s, and it looks like it's going to be a really nice upgrade. You know, not not revolutionary, but a really nice upgrade. Well, that's we we haven't had. I, I was mentioning this earlier. We haven't had a revolutionary phone for five years now. So, right. kind of expecting something. The ten, if I'm being honest, we will get to that. But uh, yeah, I think it's a nice upgrade. Uh, you know, among the nicest upgrades we've had in recent years. 
And I don't think that's a. I don't. I don't think saying that a phone is a revolutionary upgrade is in any way, shape, size, or form a criticism of the device whatsoever. To me, that is exactly what I want. That is one of the things Apple does better than anyone else is to take a good idea and continue to polish it into absolute perfection year after year after year. So you know, keep evolving, Apple. You know, don't feel you always have to be revolutionary. And just just to point out, a lot of that camera stuff is is better because of the A11 Bionic processor and the the, the updated ISP that Apple developed that's in there. So it's all related. Uh, we should also mention that there are two news stories out of the Far East, uh, one from Taiwan and one from China, where iPhone 8s have. Um, well, one of them was an eight plus. I'm not sure if the other one was an eight plus. But basically, they I think they were both pluses. They were both pluses, so they sort of. Uh, the, the, well, the, while charging, their batteries swelled up and popped the case open. The casing, you know, it basically exploded. <laughs> you know, not not exploded in the sense of a violent action. No, they've, uh, came they've apart. Got, got a classic swell, haven't they? Yeah. It's and so I, so far, I think there's been about, I think the two cases, maybe a few more yes. that haven't really hit the headlines. I doubt it's going to be a major thing. I mean, out of all the millions. The way that those batteries swell is just a feature of those batteries when they go bad, and you're always going to get a few. Right. So yeah, I, I millions think of that's devices. Just the, yeah, the percentage is tiny. Yeah. Like it's we're not. It, it, I, there's also I, no unless it, Yeah, exactly. Unless it blows up uh, in uh, no pun intended in scale, where it becomes a thing that people are saying, "Oh, my eight plus." did the thing where the battery swelled up popped the screen out. I think it's just one of those things. There's going to always be a couple here and there that have bad things that happen to them. As long as it doesn't have a safety issue, right? As long as it doesn't do a a Galaxy Note and start having to be taken off airplanes and stuff. Exactly. But as we say, all the ones that I've seen mentioned in the press have swelled up and burst the casing apart. They've not fire or overheated or exactly done anything you know that would be considered overtly dangerous exactly adam were you trying to chime in there yeah i was just going to mention something and again i don't have any evidence that this is what is going on but i have a i have a slight theory about why this may be happening now and why it hadn't happened in the past um based on some of the the science I know about storage of lithium ion batteries. Okay. Um, and that is you're typically not supposed to store them with like no charge in them or a very low charge and vice versa with a full charge. I think there's a general recommendation that you keep them somewhere around 50% or maybe a little bit higher, whatever. And Apple used to ship their batteries. If, if you, anybody who bought a new iPhone would know this, you'd get the iPhone and it would have some sort of charge in it. Mm. Um, because of the whole Samsung thing, <laughs> they made new regulations. And I experienced this because I went into the Apple store to get a, a phone replaced and I had to wait while they charged it back up because they wanted to connect it to the cellular network to make sure that everything was working. And the reason I had to wait for it to get charged up is because they're now being told you can't ship lithium-ion batteries with charges in them, or they need to be a very low charge. Oh, wow. And so if they're low charging them after after they're coming off the factory, and especially with a new phone, those phones are still sitting in boxes and warehouses and stuff waiting to be shipped, especially the first ones off the line. So I don't know if this is just maybe 
the, you know, the first batch or it could obviously be a bad batch of batteries. But when you the, the problem with storing them with little or no charge or leaving them with no, no charge and letting them sit is the chemistry starts to break down. And that's when the gases build up and that's when the batteries swell and all these things start to happen. So whether that's what happened or not, but I just do find the timing interesting in, in the fact that this regulation did change i don't know if it's everywhere but at least in the u.s they're not allowed to stick these things on planes which is really weird because as i mentioned this on the the mac show and someone pointed out you know they're not like um you know like gas cans or something like that (laughs) where they're like more dangerous if they're if they're more full you know no they're actually less dangerous they do have more energy right i mean if you charge a battery you're putting energy into it if that energy is released quickly it will be hot so it's not completely stupid from a physics point of view well, uh, you're yeah, putting it, it's, it's chemical potential energy. If you don't have that chemical potential energy, there's less danger of it catching fire and taking the plane down. So it is um, well, physics-wise okay. Actually, okay. as um, as I understand it, the most dangerous point for a, um, a lithium polymer lithium iron ion battery is when it has no charge. Yeah, because if you let them go fully flat, they'll never work again, right? If you let them go completely, well, they, dead, they, they're dead. They have a um, when your laptop battery or your phone battery says it's out of charge, it actually has a very small amount of charge left, which the right. clever electronics inside the battery use to prevent the battery from going boom. And if you let your battery go too dead, and leave it, and I know this by experience because my daughter managed to kill two old uh, MacBook batteries this way by letting them go flat and then leaving them for like a month. Uh, they they have a safety feature in them which, if the battery reaches the point at which it can no longer run the clever anti-explosion kind of electronics inside itself it becomes defunct yeah and will never charge again yeah i i've lost <laughs> batteries that way like it, it's they yeah. really, really don't like it, being empty they dislike it immensely right. well, yeah so, so that's, that's my point <laughs> oh yeah yeah no it, it is an odd regulation so basically it's samsung's fault is what we're saying which is ironic in uh, yeah well, <laughs> i don't know I, about that but <laughs> i don't know about take it that far Maybe it's a US thing because I know that my wife's iPhone 8 was delivered and we plugged it in and I think it had about 55% charge in it. Which is what you'd expect. That's the old norm. Which is, well, yeah, traditionally when you get your iPhone or your, you know, your new MacBook and you turn it on, there's usually about 56% charge because that is what they recommend, as Adam says. They've always said, you're going to store your device for any amount of time. Don't run, don't charge it up to 100%. Charge it to about 75%, and then it should fine. Okay, um, I'm going so to... maybe it's a US thing. I'm going to move <laughs> us on, because we haven't even reached yep. the iPhone 10 yet, and we're already at our hour <laughs> mark here. Um, so that's the evolutionary phone, the iPhone 8, which is, as we say, is a nice upgrade, particularly if you're coming from two, you know, from two models back, like many people on contract are. So then the revolutionary phone is the iPhone 10, which is written as an X, just because people were finally done getting the name of their Mac OS wrong. So now they can get the name of the phone wrong. Um, 
So this is a vastly different looking device. I mean, you're going to be able to tell at a glance, this is not just an iPhone 9. You know, this is visually a whole new look. It is, I would say, defined by screen. Lots and lots and lots of screen and shiny, shiny OLEDness in that screen. And then a notch taken out of that screen as the other very obvious design feature. And that notch houses both sensors and emitters, which together allow the phone to build up a three-dimensional model of your face. And that is the replacement of the fingerprint sensor. It's actually looking to see that you are who your face is as it thinks your face should be, and then you can get yourself in. So, I mean, I I think that's a, a fair summing up of the really big features. It's Face ID, and it's that glorious OLED screen. And also it has the same fantastic brain that the iPhone 8 has. It has really nice cameras front and back. Uh, It is pretty small. It's pretty light. It's just a pretty, I'll say it, it's a pretty darn sexy phone is what it is. Um, And its price tag is substantial. (laughs) So I'm not getting one of these. To me, this is the equivalent of... One of those prototype cars that you get to look at but not drive. So to me, this is, I know that two years from now when my next contract is up, something like this will have come back into my price bracket. Um, so I, I think it's a beautiful device and, you know, great for anyone who can have it now. But I, I, I see this as my view of the future for me. It's, it's going to be two years away. So has anyone on the panel actually got one? Oh, hang on, they're not out yet. That's a silly question. No, they're they're not out. Going to get one. We can't even buy them yet. Yeah, is anyone <laughs> on the panel going to be standing in line or have you pre-ordered is what I should have asked. I will. Well, that's another thing to note. Um, it's probably going to be really, really hard to get one because uh, I think everyone was expecting uh, people to just think, well, we'll just get the 8 and whatever. But it seems a lot of people are very interested in the 10. The 8 was pre-ordered. Uh, than iPhones usually are, so it's looking like a lot of people are waiting for the 10. I personally am going to probably going to try and get one. If I don't, it's not going to be the end of the world, but uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, going that direction just because the 8 is not the new design, um, which I suspect is the case for a lot of people. I will say, however, that when you really think about it, there aren't a lot of features in the 10 that are not already on the 8. Um, the, the two breakout features are the screen, which is very nice, uh, even though it has that weird notch, and the face ID. But I, someone mentioned to me um, after you know a couple of weeks of debate about face ID, someone said, do we need it? And if you're being really honest... Um, we all know that they're using Face ID because they couldn't manage to get Touch ID uh, on that phone because uh, of the screen I'm and not all of this. Actually, sure, about and that because the, the rumors from inside Apple are that Face ID was what they wanted and that they would have fallen back to a Touch ID if they had needed to. Is is the rumor mill from people who claim to have been on the team? All right, fair enough. But as a user. Um, if if Face ID works well, which is what we're hoping for, is it going to provide us with anything uh, over Touch ID, which already 
well. I think, you know, well, well, time will tell and maybe there are going to be some incredible face uh, painting technology and AR that is going to make it all I'll worth it. I'll give you it. two use cases, um, Patrick. I'll but, give you two real yep. world use cases, how it would make my life easier. Um, so I, I'm a big believer in security. So I, my phones all have long passwords. And I, the reason that's tolerable is because most of the time, Touch ID lets me get away with it. That breaks down in two very distinct ways that happen a lot in my life. It breaks down in pretty much the entirety of winter when I'm wearing gloves. And it breaks down in the kitchen when my hands are wet or covered in various cooking-related goo. Um, and with Touch ID, that is gone. You no longer need to have bare fingers to operate your phone. So I, I think it will prove easier and it will prove easier to convince people to have good passwords in these devices, which contain so much such personal information. I don't think it's All must right, have, but I think, it will be, I think it will be a genuine benefit. It will be like, it, it will basically will make people a little bit happier very, very often. Those, those same breakdowns, though, happen in an opposite way with Face ID for certain people, too. Okay. To be honest, especially the cold weather one. Um, people who live in a, enough of a cold weather climate where you you want a face scarf or some sort of device to buffet your face from the wind are going to have the same problem, right? Also, people who for um, for cultural reasons have to cover their face, hmm. right? That Touch ID is a better technology. Um, so, I mean, you can kind of you can kind of make that argument both okay. ways. That's, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I guess I was being a bit selfish. In my life, I can see it making right. my life easier, so I like it. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be limitations of, of any technology, right? Or there's always going to be edge cases where it, it sort of breaks down, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's just important to kind of remember that. Fair point. Um, the, the other thing, I guess, is the home button is gone. So there's an awful lot more done through swiping gestures. So it's all about mm -hmm. swiping rather than hitting that home button. Um, yeah. Well, let me comment on the question. So, so I am, uh, I'm also going to be getting one. Um, for me, it's the opportunity to finally get the dual lens camera system in a form factor that I enjoy. I, I prefer the smaller size phone. I tried a year with the six. I'm, I'm so glad you took the bullet on that, Adam, because if you hadn't have done it, I probably would have ended up doing it. And I was pretty sure I would hate a big phone just like you. I, like You just sounded like me when you were talking in your podcast and you did it for a year and you suffered. And I was like, oh, I've dodged that bullet. Adam did it. I don't know. Suffering is probably not the word, but I didn't enjoy it. I, I, I did not at the end of the whole thing, you know, decided yeah this really was what I, everything that i thought i wasn't going to like about this i didn't i didn't like about this and maybe i was a little biased going into it a couple of people have mentioned that that i had a that i had I a bias going in but i tried to re remain open minded about it yeah i'm sorry but your bias can't hold you back for a year if it had been an actually pleasant experience you would have noticed over a year yes I think so. Yeah. So, so, I mean, but that, that would be the main reason that I would be upgrading if I, it, with, cause I currently have a seven. Um, so I, even, even this time around, I probably would have gone for it. Um, but the reality is, is for most people, I think if you have a, a phone that you've bought in the last year or two, um, there's very little need to upgrade to an eight or a 10. 
Um, you know, again, getting back to sort of we, what we talked about at the top of the thing, I think, yeah. you know, upgrade cycles for mature products need to be extended out a little bit more. It makes more sense to extend out. You're going to you're going to feel the upgrade more uh, if you wait a couple of years. There's no reason, a compelling reason to rush out and get this one unless you really care about, you know, oh, I, I want the OLED display or, you know, and I think that's really tech people. The, the average consumer, I don't think they need, especially considering the high price point of the 10. They don't need to spend the extra money, and I don't think they're going to get the value back out of it. So if I wasn't a podcaster and I wasn't a person who wanted, uh, you know, a dual-lens camera system on a same-size phone, outside of those two scenarios, I don't think I would be upgrading. Yeah, well, I'm not right. So I, I've taken. I, right. I I am getting a new phone this year because my two-year contract is up, and therefore it becomes, with, with the way it works here, as soon as my two years are up. I am basically continuing to pay the same monthly bill, so I'm paying off a phone I don't have, so it's financially stupid not to get a new phone. So I will be right. getting a new phone, but it's going to be the iPhone 8, and I didn't even think about that for a second. It was definitely going to be the 8. And the biggest thing for me is it's going to be waterproof, because right now the rocker switch is broken on my 6S because I got rained on. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, that is the last non-waterproof device in my arsenal. The Watch Series 2 made my watch waterproof. So if my phone is waterproof, I can get rained on, which I will, without having to worry. So, so I'm just going for the 8 and that stuff. But I know I, I think I like the, the fact that the 10 is there and available for those who are into it because it, it gives me this preview of what's coming two years from now when I'm in the right. market next time. Yep. Well, that's I'll just getting the point, the, too. I'll is, be getting a 10 as well. I'll probably be competing with Adam at midnight on <laughs> pre-order day. But um, I'm going to get it as well because I'm interested in I think this is the new paradigm that we're moving toward with iPhone without a home button and uh, with, with the OLED screen and Face ID. And I, of course, want to be able to podcast about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what. When they uh, announced the 10. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of nothing so much as the introduction of the first Retina MacBook, if you remember that. I do. Which was like a technology preview. Yes. When they first brought out the Retina MacBook, they didn't remove the other MacBooks in the line. They said, and here is the MacBook Retina, and it's our view of the future. And it was, you know, it was stonkingly expensive. But a few years down the line, the whole range is had that. become yeah. that thing. But and I think that's exactly what the ten is. It's a anniversary special, uh, a technology preview, and Bart's right. In that is where the line is going. And preview and, is, is is maybe not quite a strong enough word because it's not just a preview for us. It's also a dry run for Apple because Apple couldn't roll out that kind of new technology at the scale they have to deliver for the it, iPhone yes, 8. precisely. Precisely. So they That's, can bring that out like the Retina MacBook and say, here is our view of the future. And in a few years' time, that will be the technology that all the phones are using. It's another good thing to point out, uh, I, you know, and I fully expect this is a whole new design. There's a lot of new technologies in here, especially the whole um, sensor bar on the on, on the front side of things. There's a lot of things happening in here that are new for Apple with their hardware and their software. And 
Um, another thing, if you're thinking about, you know, do I upgrade to this or not, you need to be aware there's going to be little bumps and oddities. You know, Apple does a pretty good job of making sure this stuff is is fairly solid. But anytime there's brand new technologies, things are going to break. Things are going to break down. These are new components that are in there. So just know if you're buying a 10, you're also sort of signing up to do a little bit of I don't want to call it beta testing, but you're probably going to experience some things like you do with a first generation of anything. And this really is a first generation of a whole new design. Yeah, maybe, you're definitely signing up to be a guinea pig, aren't you? Let's uh, face it. If you're, on the, if you're on the fence about Apple Care, I would say if you're going for a cutting-edge device, you should jump onto the let's get Apple Care side of that fence. I mean, while it may not be as much of an issue if you go for the safe and secure iPhone 8 or you go for the now cheaper iPhone 7s, which are obviously still on sale at the low end of the market, you're, you know, it's a different argument. But if you're going for the cutting-edge device and you're, you're in any way humming and hawing just get the apple care you're more likely to need it than other people yeah right I am i'd going, go with that yeah i am going to move us on um the next thing in the show notes is to talk a bit about the wireless charging but you know something we talked about it so much last month we got yeah. all of that off of our chest last month and the thing isn't really the the Apple charging mat, which looks really cool, isn't out yet. So I'm going to table that discussion until we have actual air power devices in the hands of human beings and the actual Apple charging mat is available. So I'm going to skip over that for now. Apple did announce a charging mat. It will charge all of your Apple devices. Well, not all of your devices, but your phone, your watch, and what was the third thing? Oh, your AirPods. Your AirPods at the same time. As long as you buy a new, as long as you buy a new case. Or new AirPods, I guess, if you're just joining on. Now. Yeah, it, it won't. Yeah. Uh, it will not charge the current AirPod case. You will have and to have a new Apple Watch, new case. Yeah, and the Series Three Apple Watch and above, so not the Series Two, One, or Zero. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that takes us then <laughs> to the OSs, um, and I do. I want to go through this a little bit quicker because I unfortunately have. <laughs> I have the real part. world is beckoning to me for other things. Um, so the the first one, just to say very quickly, is macOS High Sierra. And I think the review that captured this OS from my point of view came from the Mac Observer, who went with the wonderful headline, High Sierra, you'll hardly notice you've upgraded. Which is also <laughs> what Apple told us was coming, right? This is a Snow Leopard-style update. Apple have spent fa- like so much effort under the hood. And deep down within the OS, they're laying a really good foundation for the future. But you as an end user are not going to notice. I have the Mac I'm recording on now is upgraded. The iMac next to me is not upgraded. And it's darn hard to tell which OS is which. And I keep forgetting. I keep on testing out the new features on the wrong computer. And they're saying, well, that doesn't work. It's like, oh, yeah, it's because I'm on the wrong computer. They are extremely similar. The most notable thing is the new file system has come to the Mac. So it's already come to our iOS devices. It's already come to the watch. But now it's on the Mac with a few caveats. So if you have an old solid-state Mac, you are going to have the new APFS file system. But if you have either a spinny hard disk or a hybrid drive, you are not getting the new file system. And a lot of advice I'm seeing online is basically don't upgrade to the new OS on devices that are not fully solid-state, which is why my iMac is still on the old OS, uh, whereas my MacBook is on the new OS. And they've also had to release an update to macOS High Sierra uh, because they made a minor little boo-boo in their implementation of password hints in APFS. 
or rather in um, the disk utility app within Mac OS, High Sierra, where instead of saving the hint, it saved the sodding password you were hinting at. So if you said to the machine, show me the hint, it showed you the password. They fixed that now, so you definitely should update and maybe reset some passwords if needed. Um, so I've upgraded one of my machines. It's been a completely unnoticeable update. Basically, I have a little bit more security and I have a few small tweaks and, you know, they've just made a few things a little bit nicer, but it's really not earth-shattering. So has anyone on the panel had a different experience or have something? I haven't I upgraded have. yet. But I've had a couple people um, I, mention. Sorry, I love having the executive. Okay, um, it, oh, Adam, do you go first? Because uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, just real, real, real quick. I I just had have had a couple people, and I don't know if this is only people with solid state, but though I suspect it might be. Um, people mentioned to me that they have older Macs. I haven't upgraded myself, but they have older Macs that seem to perform actually a little bit better uh, after the upgrade. Cool. Yeah, I have uh, a MacBook 2012 non-retina, uh, so quite an old device now. I've been running High Sierra since the start of the public betas. It's not massively different to Sierra, but yes, I do feel that the performance has improved. It's really quite nice. Obviously, I have a spinny hard drive, so I haven't got the new file system. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. But Apple have introduced a kernel extension security feature, which is not working for me. So when I try and install anything which requires a kernel extension, it says this requires that you approve the kernel extension by going to the security tab of system preferences mm. and approving the uh the installation of the kernel extension. And when I go there, nothing shows. So, so you can't me, approve it because you've no button. I can't approve it. So anything that requires a kernel extension, like my virtual bot, cannot currently be installed. What? Uh, okay. That's, that's a bit good. of an edge case. And it, yes, but I, I don't know if anybody else is having this issue or if it's just me. Uh, and if I need to effectively wipe my hard drive and reinstall Sierra, you know, final build. Oh, so you've been upgrading from the betas rather than well, starting I've, fresh. Well, I've got beta 1, beta 2, beta 3, beta 4, and then I got the Gold Master, and then I got the official release. Uh, but this kernel approval problem is has dogged me since, well, I don't know, since, the, <laughs> since I went on High Sierra. I've right. reported it to Apple at least twice, and I've had nothing back. I don't know if it's affecting anybody else, but that is my only, that's my caveat. Okay. That's it. Cool. But other than that, I love it, by the way. I think it's brilliant. Excellent. Anyone else have any Sierra experiences to share? Just the, the two forward-facing features that I'm most excited about are um, the universal clipboard that I think I will get use out of. So if you have a continuity Mac, mm-hmm. a Mac that supports continuity, you'll be able to... Uh, basically have your clipboard work across all of your devices, your Macs and your iOS devices if they're running iOS 11, which I think is kind of cool. Um, so copy something on your iPhone, paste it on your Mac. And then... Um, last year, though. Was that not a Sierra feature? Uh, I believe it's uh, a... Yeah, it's, yeah. No, it's a high Sierra feature. feature. Yeah. 
Yeah, we had it last year. Yeah, it may be working better now. Yeah, it was really our last year. Yeah, yeah, because I've been using it. Um, yeah, between my Mm. non-upgraded machines. So I think I had that feature, but okay. Take your word for it. Well, I did it yesterday Um, on iMac, and it's still running Sierra. Hmm. Okay. I can't believe I got that wrong. But um, the other thing is uh, syncing, uh, iCloud syncing of the photo uh, metadata so that I don't have to have every um, one of my photo apps rescan everything. And specifically, I use the faces feature, feature a lot for faces data. So the ability to have that sync um, and not have to have rescans done on every machine or more importantly with the faces re-identify the same people that I've already identified on another machine um, I think are going to be a big benefit to me. Yeah, that does sound helpful, all right. And the, the the thing to mention is Apple are doing it with encryption before it leaves your device. So they don't, the data is going through Apple servers, but in a way that they can't see it. So they're not giving up on their privacy thing, but they are giving you the benefit of some convenience that's really quite welcome. I've got last year's Tough Bar MacBook Pro and upgrading to High Sierra was really smooth. No, I have no issues so far. Excellent. Okay, so the next one on my list here is WatchOS, um, which is to some extent, it's it, it's nowhere near as revolutionary as, as WatchOS 3 was. I mean, WatchOS 3 was a really, really big upgrade and they really changed the whole paradigm with the concept of a dock and stuff. This is a much more refined refinement sort of update. But it's just, for me, it's been full of little things that have made me smile. Um, You know, it's not earth-shattering that now when you're doing a workout, if you swipe left, you get the usual pause, lock buttons. But if you swipe the other way, you can now adjust your volume, play or pause your podcast, etc. So basically your media controls are now in the workout app. How you start a workout has been tweaked so that it's a little bit more human-friendly. And also you can now jump from workout to workout so if you you know run and then swim or whatever you don't have to stop and then start the whole fresh workout you can basically flip your workout from one type to another from that same screen where you would normally pause or whatever so you can just sort of go straight from run into a cycle or whatever it is you're doing uh the heart rate thing i guess is nice because that's for everyone that's not just for people with well no it's for everyone apart from the series zero people um, right. where it, it, it basically it's keeping a constant history of your heart rate and it's checking to see how quickly it winds down after exercise and it also has the ability if you ask it to to alert you if your heart rate is elevated despite the fact that you're not being active which is obviously a, a danger sign and that that's nice that they're putting that kind of thing in um, and the only thing that made me mildly cranky till I found the button to turn it off was that if you start to play a podcast or something, it will automatically change your watch's home screen to be the media control screen, like it does with a workout. For when you know, when I work out, I like that feature. But really, I'm always playing media, and I never got to see my watch anymore. It was excruciating, you know. But there's a way to turn it off, so I turned it off, and now I'm happy, and I just absolutely adore WatchOS 4. Can you tell me how to do that? Uh, the link is in the show yes, notes. But... Getting rid of now playing screen and watch OS. Excellent. Uh, it's straightforward it's, enough. Yes, it's basically, I'm bugged with that. It's considered a feature of the watch face, which is why I didn't find it when I went looking in the in the uh, now playing app for settings. So it's basically it's in the watch face settings because it's considered a pseudo watch face. So unlike you, Bart, I cur- I, per- I love that feature because I'm always playing podcasts, listening on my 
uh, AirPods and I can very quickly control the playback, the volume, pausing, forwarding with the watch and I don't have to hassle with getting into the now playing screen. So it just depends on how you use it, I guess. It, yeah, absolutely. And it's good that we have the buttons to make it behave in the ways that are appropriate to, to each of us. Can I, can I ask, does your, um, does your taptic time work with the now playing face up? Cause that, that was my only complaint about it is that I couldn't just kind of, I don't think, the time is on the now playing thing now that I say this, but I didn't like not being able to see like my complications and all the stuff from my normal watch face. Every time I was playing music, it would require an extra button press, which would take you back to the standard watch face that you had set up. And then when the watch went back to sleep again, if you were still playing music, the next time you'd raise your wrist, boom, you're seeing now playing. And again, not your, right. your complications, your information. So, yeah, it just depends on what, what your priority is. Yeah. most of the time and you do have to tap the crown if you want to go back to the watch face i mean it's not that hard adam <laughs> it was slightly annoying Just it was death by paper cuts and the thing is it's actually yeah. it's actually really clever so if you were using overcast it would not launch the now playing app automatically it would launch the overcast app automatically so basically any media app if you had the matching watch app that app would follow you over to the watch so it was very well thought out it just really wasn't a feature i wanted yeah interesting you you can do the taptic time from the now playing screen but you'd have to have voiceover running for that to work so i was just curious yeah yeah but now that i think about it maybe that now playing does have a has a have a clock at the top it's a very small clock and okay the watch face i have has big time uh, because uh, (laughs) you know i'm not always i don't have the watch in front of my face necessarily um i could be some distance away Anyone have any strong feelings on watchOS before I move us on? Nope. Okay, so the the big, this year's, without a shadow of a doubt, the OS that got Apple's major, major TLC was definitely iOS 11. Um, and especially iOS 11 for the large iPads with the dock and the multitasking and the files app and it just becoming a much more power user centric OS on these portable devices. So I don't know about you guys, but I have not found a single thing to dislike in iOS 11. I am extremely <laughs> happy with the fact that I can customize uh, the, uh, the that, that launch bar screen. So I have it all customized the way I want. I have my dock customized the way I want. I'm multitasking nine, 90 times more than I ever multitasked before. So I'm a happy bunny. Um, so how, how do others feel? I, I like it for the most part. I'm going to throw in my one complaint uh, again, and this is a general direction that I feel Apple is moving in. And I think you hit the nail on the head by saying power user features. Um, the problem I'm having is I think a lot of the power user features are coming in at the expense of the average user. Um, and what I'm talking about is a lot of the hidden interface controls. So there were a lot of things that were exposed, especially in control center that are now one layer deeper and often behind some sort of gesture or 3d touch. Um, and so I think that's great for those of us who know how to expose that stuff or understand 3d touch or some of these other things, but I think it does make it more difficult for, um, a user who kind of knows how to use their device and knew where everything was. And now things are gone. 
right? Things have been moved and they don't understand why has this thing been moved and where did it go to? And they're not really all that keen about having to Google to figure out how to do something that they already knew how to do. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. I experienced just the other day, you know, needing to switch from my AirPods to my phone and that control you have to do uh, a, a you have to do a, a force touch or 3D touch, whatever you call it, to to get that bring that control up now, which it used to be obvious. So that's exactly what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And they're they're minor things. This isn't a huge thing. I'm not going to make a big deal about it, but it is a direction that you know the OS is moving in, and it's probably because it's more mature. Um, but again, it does cause a problem for someone like my mom who's going to call me up and say, "Hey, I knew how to do this thing, but I don't know how to do it anymore." Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Um, and anyone else with strong opinions, or shall we continue? I'll I'll just mention the fact that uh, it's obviously. I mean, you guys hinted at it, but on uh, on the iPad, iOS 11 is absolutely masterful. And um, I've been using it for a few months now. I use the beta, and it it's actually probably the most significant update to uh, the iPad version of iOS since the iPad was first launched. And it brings you, I mean, some people have been using iPads for all of their productivity or some of their productivity Hmm. time. I don't think it makes it uh, like an ideal replacement for a computer for everyone 100%. But Let's say it was a 50% before, it probably brings it to 75 now. Um, yeah. If, you know, it gives you, it's not exact numbers, but it could give you an idea of how movement this is. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, you know, the files feature is another big part of that, where if you want, uh, one of the, the best thing about iOS from the point of view of non computer power users, from the point of view of, in fact, the opposite, people who are intimidated by computers, the complete lack of a file system has been a feature, not a bug for those people. Uh, But now we get to have our cake and eat it because those of us who want file system like, you know, the ability to folder, to put stuff into folders and to manage all this stuff, well, now we have an app for that. And it's really quite a nice app and it ties in with all the cloud storage. But for the people who were blissfully unaware of the file system, they are entirely free to continue to be completely unaware of the existence of a file system. Yeah. So th- that was that was implemented well. That they did a good job I'll, bringing that over. I mean, uh, the file system is certainly something uh, beneficial, but I rather. But um, I'll say that things like uh, drag and drop and the new multi windowing mm. uh, approach to it are even more important for that uh, day. You know, minute to minute productivity because things that used to take you like five actions like now take two and when you do those you know 50 times an hour it's significant yeah yeah. For anyone who happens to use VoiceOver and who is concerned about drag and drop, it they've done a brilliant implementation of it in iOS 11 with VoiceOver, and so there 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 are no worries about being able to do those functions. Oh wow, excellent! Oh, that, that can't have been easy for them to do. There is, I should also mention, there is some controversy about the fact that turning off Wi-Fi doesn't really turn off Wi-Fi; it just disassociates you from the Wi-Fi features. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reasoning for this is because those radios are not only doing Wi-Fi, they're also involved in handoff and in the various other features. And 
I think a fair criticism would be that it should be a tri-state switch with obvious UI indicating powered down, inactive, and on, or something like that. You know, powered down, asleep, or on, whatever. Some sort of... Make it obvious to the user that it's not really off. It's just the Wi-Fi features of the chip are off, but the chip itself is still on. So if you're doing it to save battery you actually haven't achieved what you wanted to achieve. If you're doing it because you don't want to be on that Wi-Fi network, you have achieved what you wanted to achieve. And the same is true of the Bluetooth. So it's just, I think Apple misstepped. I don't think there's any malice here, um, but they, they, this isn't as good a UI as they could have done, and I have a feeling no. they'll address that. I'm hoping they'll address that. I, I completely agree with that, Bart. It, I've had people complaining to me or coming to me saying this switch doesn't and also of course apple didn't really make it very clear yeah that they'd altered the way it what it worked um and you're right it should really be a three-stage switch it should say on and connected on Don't. but disconnected and completely off i think that's yeah. the can't, and there's no reason for it not to have a stage can't can't you achieve that same effect though by the uh the airplane button and then just re-enabling Bluetooth or Wi-Fi? Well, no, because then you're going to be off yeah. your cellular. And as soon as you... If you it's... turn airplane on and off, you end up with everything back on. Well, you on. can turn your cellular back on too, right? In airplane mode. Okay, Each you... one of those things can be toggled back on. Yeah, but I don't think so, because when you turn airplane mode back on, if you had turned Wi-Fi off, Wi-Fi comes right back up. It's one of the things that people who are... People who obsess about their battery life are really cranky about the fact that if you turn off Bluetooth and then you turn on airplane mode and then you turn off airplane mode, your Bluetooth hasn't remembered that you had turned it off. It comes right back on, and that makes some people supremely cranky. Um, So uh, what I'm implying is put it in airplane mode and then turn the radios back on that you want want on. But I think the only way to get cellular is to take airplane off, isn't it? The the, no. the the reason why, you know, there are three states is that the Wi-Fi, for example, isn't just on or off as it would be in iOS 10 if you, you know, turn airplane mode on and then turn Wi-Fi back. Wi-Fi is just on and it will connect to Wi-Fi. The, what right. it's doing now is that if you turn it off, it isn't really off. It's just not going to connect to Wi-Fi, but still use the Wi-Fi signal to do other things. It's just not going to connect to a Wi-Fi yeah. network, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe that's what happens with the Bluetooth, but that's essentially the, yes. the mechanics same of thing it. Happens with Bluetooth. It's the same thing. That, that is ex- yeah, that's exactly what it's doing. I just, I think the gripe is not that it does that. I think the gripe is that people were not don't feel that it, it's displayed to them Clearly, that's all. It's just confusing. It's yeah. a change that confused people, and I think it. I think it would have been possible for Apple to do a better job of the UI. I don't yes. think it's malicious. I don't yeah. think it's a catastrophe. No, it's it's, it's a thing. It's a tiny minor. Thing. Exactly. It's I a mean, niggle. it's just a matter that people were used to it actually physically turning off the radio, and now what it does is disconnect. Right. Yeah. Right. And because I'll just put. Both not, Wi-Fi and the, and the Bluetooth are used to do other things than just connect your AirPods or exactly. talk to the Wi-Fi. I know they're used for handoff and continuity and and talk to your watch and your AirPods and all sorts of other and GPS positioning is heavily reliant on Wi-Fi. Anyway, yeah, it's all, it's all yeah, sorts I'm, of stuff. Going oh, I'm not going to imply that this is a good interface design, but uh, just so people do know, if you open up Control Center and you tap those buttons. 
to disable those and look at the top of the phone screen, there is a message that pops up that says disconnected from, and then it'll list your Wi-Fi network. Or if you hit the Bluetooth, it'll say disconnected from, and then list out your Bluetooth devices that it has disconnected from. So there is a message, it, you know, we don't need to spend more time arguing whether it's a good one or not. No, I don't think we're arguing. We just say, I, I, I'm with Bart, really. I just think they could have done a better job of making it clear to people what's going on. And a three stage, mm-hmm. a three step switch was all, all that you really needed. I think. I think that maybe we should point thing. out to people that if you do indeed want to actually turn those off, you can do it from the setting screen as opposed to from the control oh, yeah. center. Yeah, yeah. So yes. if if if, the, if your reason for wanting to turn it off is to save battery life, you now can't use the control center. You need to go into the settings app and actually power down the radios. For now, and I, I would not be at all surprised if if eleven point one fixed this to make it into some sort of tri-state switch or whatever because i think a lot of people are cranky uh, about it i don't I've think already it's... got 11.1 bar and <laughs> okay 11.2 maybe 11.2 <laughs> you know what i mean right it's... what yeah it won't be long i'm sure yeah anyway i'm gonna move us on because we're so over time here um <laughs> there are other power user features i just sort of want to mention that if you're someone like us who's into podcasting and stuff you have screen recording now the screenshots interface has been massively updated the ability to annotate just about anything is a real power user feature I mean, it is, there is a lot of really good stuff in here. And uh, also the do not disturb while driving is obviously an important safety feature. We should congratulate Apple on. Uh, another, I love that feature, by the way. Just I'll just say that. I haven't had a chance to test it yet, but I, I'm most certainly going to be using it. Um, great. And wish me luck at my driving test on the 25th. Um, one other little niggle is that at the moment, iOS 11 doesn't have the 3D touch multitasking feature some people adore. Uh, according to a reply to an email from Craig Federici, that is coming back in a later version of iOS 11. So if that's making you cranky, hold tight, it's coming your way. Um, the next major story I have, and we're not going to spend more than five minutes on these next two stories because I have, uh, real life is getting in the way here. Um, and you guys, I'm sure, also have things to get done. So Safari 11 has really changed the way that Apple's browser deals with third-party cookies. And it's done so in such a way that your browser isn't going to allow sites you don't have a relationship with to track you. And by have a relationship with, I mean that you actively visit that site yourself. So if if there's a third-party tracker and you've never been to their webpage and you have no interest in their webpage, then in theory, Safari won't track you with that tracker. But if you're a Facebook user who's always on Facebook, then Facebook do get to track you because you have a relationship with them. Uh, This is not... From a technical point of view, it's just it's clever, it's nice. Myself and Alison talked about it in great detail on the last Nasilla cast. But basically, the ad industry has lost their ever-loving mind about the fact that they don't get to invade all of our privacy at a whim. And I am 110% on Apple's side and 0% on the ad industry side. And I'm wondering if anyone on the panel would like to disagree with me. I don't think it's going to be very easy to completely disagree with you. Um, There is one argument to be made about something like not on the ad, but basically what that means is that, as you mentioned, anyone you don't have a relationship with is not going to be able to track you. But what entities do most of us have a relationship with? Facebook and Google and probably LinkedIn, since Microsoft is turning that into an ad network as well. That means, essentially, it reinforces uh, the power of 
both of those companies or three those three companies. Um, so I think it's a great thing in principle. <laughs> Sorry. And it probably should be, uh, you know, it's commendable on Apple's part. But I think we also need to be aware that for for those sites that we do have a relationship with, it doesn't change anything. Hmm. So Facebook, Google are still going to be able to track us. Well, see, that's because you have a relationship with Facebook. I do not have a relationship with Facebook. So I actually, uh, I, I really like this. So when you start a relationship... Right, right. It's the, just you're in the minority. Most I know I am. I am. A I'm a complete yeah. outsider. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the, the arrangement we have with the likes of the Googles and the Facebooks is they offer us something uh, in exchange for our privacy. So that's fair, right? If you want to use Facebook, they give you functionality you like and they charge you no finances, but they charge you your privacy. Uh, whereas these ad trackers, they offer me nothing. I have no relationship with them. We have no agreement. So to me, they're still different. Yes, this isn't stopping all tracking, but it's allowing the tracking to be limited to the people whom I have chosen to exchange my privacy in exchange for free features. And that that's okay with yeah, me. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough, yeah. Um, oh, I think someone fell off the call. I'm hoping whoever it is picks themselves back up. Um, Simon, so hopefully Simon can sneak back into the call. Um Anyone else want to chime in on, on this storm in a All I will say about um, the latest version of Safari is if people haven't checked it out, they should just go in and check out um, the system preferences, the new websites tab, which is what I appreciate about it is it gives you one place to check and control each website that you go to in terms of its privacy, its autoplay video ads, uh, what's accessing your camera, location services, notifications, all of those things, uh, including also managing your plugins, are now all in one universal um, sort of panel. Yeah. And that's amazing. That 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 is a great feature that lets you kind of control everything and you get to set the rules. And so I think Apple putting the power for you to control that in your hands, but more importantly, making it easy for you to manage that stuff is I think that's the killer feature here. Totally agreed. That is, is really good UI and it's very powerful. So well done, Apple. Uh, okay, we're going to quickly mention before we wrap up that Apple were not the only company to make lots of new stuff this month. Um, I'm going to list through these first and then we might we might have a short conversation around them. So Sonos have announced a new Sonos One, which is basically very much like their previous products, only you throw in some Alexa um, and it does that Dolby thing that we were talking about earlier, I think. Amazon released quite a lot of stuff. New Fire TV, HDR 4K, does that Dolby thing, price point of $69.99, which is quite a lot cheaper than an Apple TV. There's an updated Echo, so a second-generation Echo, starting price of $99.99. There's something new called the Echo Plus, which is basically the Echo with the ability to control, to act as a hub for many home automation-style devices, though obviously not HomeKit, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, which starts at $1499. There's an Echo Spot, which is uh, like a smaller version of the Echo Show, so it has a roundy screen, and it looks slightly pretty, actually, uh, for $129.99. And then there are Echo Buttons, which are apparently little accessories that you can use to do things like play games, and it's $20 for a starter pack for, quote, a few. Um, I'm not sure how many a few is. And then the last thing is something called an Echo Connect, which ties Amazon Echo into your landline phone so that you can basically use your little Amazon Echo devices to make phone calls. And then Google released 
again, more home speakers. This whole home speaker thing is really taking off. We have the Google Home Mini for $49 and the Google Home Max for a stocking $399. And then there is the Google equivalent of the new iPhone, the Google Pixel 2, which is basically the Google Pixel made better. Um, so an awful lot of new hardware there. Is there anything here that particularly catches people's attention? <laughs> no, probably things. probably too no, too much I guess, that catches my attention. I, yeah, I'll say one thing. Um, they are pushing uh, the aspects of all of this, and basically saying that machine learning and deep learning can make up for some of the uh, you know hardware uh, not failures, but like they have less relevant, less capable hardware than some of their competitors. Uh, making up for it with software and thing. And uh, the other thing is they are, both them and Amazon are really uh, ahead in terms of uh, virtual assistants, digital assistants, however, however you want to call it. And right. this could turn in the long run because it's very possible that those interfaces become more important, you know, become the next step after desktop and laptops and uh, smartphones. And the next one could be in a few years that, you know, virtual digital assistants uh, could become ways for us with the digital world in a more significant manner than it is now. So push. that's why all of these companies are, are pushing it. And in my experience, Siri being behind uh, is something that Apple needs to worry about very seriously. Right. I would just counter yep. and say I don't consider Siri to be behind because I value my privacy, so I consider Siri to be the only game in town. But I, again, am in a minority. Okay, that's that's a different <laughs> well, no. concern, and I will call you out on it because I'm not talking about whether or not it protects your privacy. I'm saying right. whether or not it works and okay, maybe it works because it working. doesn't protect your privacy but that's irrelevant in the game of uh which one is going to take the you know take the cake uh ultimately in the you know it wars that to come well I, uh, sadly i believe you're correct uh, that makes me extremely sad <laughs> that people don't care but i think you're right i, I entirely grant you that um a little of this goes into some of the conversation I was mentioning with the the Apple Watch and Siri, and uh, we are moving to um, there's there's a guy who is really into the stuff, Brian Romilly, who talks about voice first interfaces. That mm. this is sort of the next evolution of operating systems, where more and more we're going to be doing more with our voice, and so it's going to be more and more important for these devices to be smarter and possibly know more stuff about us. You know, I don't want to go down that privacy debate either. Uh, I'm I'm I, I tweeted out when Amazon did the whole new Echo lineup, something kind of related to that. I I I have concerns about how much dominance they're putting with the Echo products and how many Echo products and cameras and microphones they're getting into into places and um, their seeming lack of concern for people's privacy. Um, but I think Patrick is absolutely right. This is sort of a big future of where computing computing is going and at the moment, Apple, from a hardware standpoint especially, is late to the game. Um, HomePod's not even here yet. 
Uh, it remains to be seen how much of an impact it's going to make or how good it's going to be. So we're going to have to table that for a later discussion. But um, yeah, Apple needs to be in this game and they need to be further into this game. Now that said, there's many examples where Apple has been late to a party, MP3 players, smartphones, um, where they've turned it around and become a leader. So it's not to say that that's not going to happen. But if you look at the current market and all of these product announcements that are happening, yeah, Apple does feel like they're really far behind. Can I throw away a curveball? So, it, you know, the, the, the future of voice assistants as being important, I think, is undeniable. This whole voice first thing, I, I think that's real. I think that is a genuine trend, and I think it's going to only get stronger. But I'm not sure if these physical devices that sit around your house are necessarily anything with a future. The, 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 the assistant inside those boxes has a future, but I'm not sure those boxes do because I think maybe the future is in stuff like the AirPods where it's not. Oh, yeah. Now it's, it's very possible. It's very possible that they're just going to be everyone. Have you, if you've seen the movie Her, yeah. basically that's what we're talking about. Yeah. But at this stage, it doesn't really matter what it's going to be because today we don't have AirPods. I mean, not all of them and certainly those who do don't use them as they would in those uh, cases. Um, you know, in the movie Her, you do, you're not always conversing with Siri. And <clears throat> not only does that mean, you know, I guess it doesn't mean that the other assistants are better, but I think everyone agrees that the other ass assistants are more uh, able to understand you and respond to your queries. And the, the thing that's important to remember is that all of those function <coughs> with data as their fuel. Uh, machine learning functions with data and learning. And what it means and the reason why they're all rushing to get as, as many of those little devices in your home and is that they get the more they have uh, devices in your home, the more machine learning and data they can uh, stock up to to improve right. the services. Sure. So sure. I think we're early enough in the game, though, that Apple being behind at the moment is not catastrophic. It may turn out to be, but I don't think there's any. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's, it's just never they, been a they, it's they never been to... a problem for them in the past. That was kind of my my yeah. earlier point. Sure. I'm. I mean, all right. Again, sorry to be so vociferous about this. It's not a problem when you're talking about one specific piece of technology, but if you're talking about the platform, then being first does matter. This is what happened with iOS. This is, you know, also right. what happened with the Mac. Um, I think it might matter in this case if they fall too much behind. If yeah. Alexa ends up being the dominant player and Google Assistant becomes the second one, it's possible we have space for a third and actually Microsoft is, is pushing it as well. Um, but I don't think, you know, most usually what ends up happening is that you have space for two players and that's it. So platforms are different than just sure. random pieces of technology. I, and I think that's a valid point. I, I, there is no argument in my mind that everybody, Google, uh, Microsoft, and Apple are vying for second position at this point. Yeah. I, I think just so. Are. We're early enough in the game that even the platform wars are by no means... I, I don't think that the ground has been lost. I don't, I don't, think, it, yeah. no, I, I don't think it's over. I, I think we're very, very, very early days. I'm talking about the environment today, like now as it stands, as I see it, it's it's 
Amazon is the dominant player in this space and they have a lead and Google and Alexa and or Google and um, Microsoft, Contera and Apple are all competing for that Am- second slot. Amazon have a problem, though. Amazon aren't the holders of any of your key data. Like there are a lot of people whose entire lives are in the Google ecosystem, which means mm-hmm. that Google, like if you do all of your email through Gmail, if you do your social media through Google Plus, if you do your chatting through whatever G Talk and all this kind of stuff is, the Hangouts, whatever, whatever the thing du jour is, or Allo or whatever. If you're really heavily invested, particularly through Gmail in the Google ecosystem, Google kind of have an advantage that Alexa can't compete with because Amazon don't have. They have your media, maybe, but that's kind of all they have. Microsoft they have, have your shopping habit. True. A lot of, they have all of your entertainment. Uh, they have a presence in uh, you know, music, movies, TV shows, comics, books, shopping in general for everything. Uh, certainly, they're not at the level of um, Google, but I think the changes that have been happening in the past, on over the last three years or so are a little bit of a stealth thing that people aren't realizing, but they are, they have become an incredible, incredible powerhouse in every aspect of tech. And we're kind of used to Amazon from, you know, the mid 2000s where Mm -hmm. it would be, oh, it's that shopping place. They have evolved a lot, and uh, they, and I think it would be a mistake to underestimate them in that right. uh, area. Okay. And they're also getting all that data through those third-party integrations. So, I mean, <laughs> you integrate your Alexa with your Google Calendar, and now Amazon has that calendar data. Okay. They, they just do, because they're processing those voice commands, and you're asking about you know, your vacation next month. And guess what? Now Amazon knows you have a vacation next month and maybe you need some some travel accessories to go along with that, right? Yeah. I guess so. They, they don't have the leg up in the OS market though, which is, uh, if I were Jeff Bezos, I'd but be worried I, I, about that That's not the market they want to be in. You're kind of, well, no, you're at the mercy, right? Google could just decide, actually, this is far too damaging. We're, we consider our voice assistant so critical, we're going to cut off those APIs. And, then and that's why it's so important to be there first and to take the space. And, you know, we're really – they have your photos as well, by the way, Amazon. They can store your photos too. Um, it's it's – they're an email client away, you know, email calendar client away from having just as much data as Google, Amazon, uh, Apple, or Microsoft. So right. it's – if they okay, integrate guess, that voice assistant well enough, they can pull users. Yeah, I, I guess, look, living in Ireland, I see Sorry, things Patrick, very differently because else. Amazon are terrible at global rollouts. Like Google services are available across the planet. Apple are way behind Google in terms of rolling out, but at least Apple is much better at rolling out to Ireland. We can buy TV shows. We, we can rent movies. Uh, you know, we, we can use Apple Pay and stuff. So we, we get a lot more stuff from Apple. But from Amazon, we get absolute diddly squat. Like, we can't rent movies. We It's uh, like Amazon don't even have an Irish store. We have to do stuff in pound sterling. Uh, and when Brexit happens, we're in really deep trouble. So globally speaking, Amazon, Amazon offers so many of the services to the US first and maybe the UK, Germany and France, but they're, they're, they're so much more insular that when you live in Ireland, you see Amazon as a complete non-entity because even if you wanted to be in their ecosystem, you can't. So I guess that's why my view of Amazon is so different to yours. Yeah, that might that might have something to do with it, might not it? 
because yeah, I, I would love to be on Amazon Prime and be able to get all of their TV shows. Not a chance. I have to be a Netflix subscriber. You know, it's, it's just not a choice. It's that's what we do in Ireland. That's all we have. They're the only company looking for our money, and they get it. Okay, I'm going to wrap up the show with just a few quick stories that are not so much for discussion, but I do think we should point out to listeners to get a, a more full view of the month. Um, so. Apple updated iTunes to version 12.7. They removed a whole bunch of features that very few people were using to make it more focused on music. I can't say I particularly notice it becoming any less of a bloated piece of you-know-what, but hey, I guess they're thinking about cleaning it up a little. Um, um, can, I just, you can. can I just say here, but uh, there are some... Most of us probably didn't use iTunes to deal with apps on iOS, but the yeah. people who did are really, really miffed about that. So yes. could I just point out that somebody pointed me to a free app from Apple called Configurator 2, which does an awful lot of those things. Yes. So if you are missing that, go get that. And that, that might is, that take some time away. Yes, that is a fantastic tip. And Configurator is great if you if you have like a, a small business with a couple of devices and stuff. It's Configurator is just cool. But yeah, if you're missing those iTunes features, Configurator is really your friend. It's a, it's a great tip. Thank you. Um, a, a subtle change in both iOS 11 and High Sierra is that if you ask Siri to search something for you on the web, um, she will actually go to Google now rather than to Bing, which is where she had been going before. Um. Apple also bumped the prices on their iPad Pros. Um, uh, Apple also updated their privacy page to make it more transparent. Um, If you live in the US, you now get to rent your movies for twice as long, as in when you hit play, you now have 48 hours to finish the movie. Uh, Apple, Fitbit and others have gotten together to join an FDA pilot program which should help certify health-related software more quickly and more efficiently, which is only a good thing if you like the Apple Watch, etc. for its health features. And finally... Stick a pin in it. We will be talking about Apple's Q4 2017 earnings report on November 2nd. Or rather, Apple will be talking about it on November 2nd, and we'll be talking about it on whatever show we record after November 2nd. And that wraps up the news for September. What a month it was. Folks, I just want to thank the panel very much for giving so generously of their time. Um, Let's go in reverse order. Robert, would you like to tell the dear listeners where they can find more of your great work? Sure. I do a podcast called the Tech Doctor Podcast along with my co-host, Allison Hartley. It's at dr-carter.com. It's called the Tech Doctor, and it's available in all the pod-catching apps, wherever you get your podcast from. Excellent. Thank you very much, Robert. Um, Simon, would you like to remind the good listeners where they can hear more of your work? Uh, yeah. Well, of course, as part of the MyMac Podcasting Network, you can find us on mymac.com. You can find us on EssentialApple.com, uh, and of course we are in all the good podcasts. Thank you very much, uh, Patrick. Let the good listeners know where they can hear more of your wonderful French accent. Ah, oh, thank you very much. Uh, well, I guess the easiest place to go is to follow me on Twitter or on Facebook. I am not Patrick on both of those platforms, and they will take you to uh, the places where I do my uh, tech and gaming and world news slash uh tolerance and understanding of podcasts so yeah not patrick on the social platforms 
Excellent. And Adam, for, for that one person on the planet who's never heard of the MacCast, do you want to just give a little <laughs> a little plug to this various things you do? Sure. Actually, you do more than just a MacCast, so plug away. Yeah, MacCast on your favorite podcast listening application or software. Also, MacCast.com is the website. And then you can, and it's MacCast on social media, just about everywhere. And then I also do the iOS show. So if you're more inclined for just iOS stuff, uh, you can check out the iosshow.com, which is actually not my show. I'm just a guest host with a couple other guys on that. Excellent. Um, you will find detailed show notes with links to all the stories I've informed our discussion over at lets-talk.ie. You'll also find three large blue buttons on the page with the heading support the show. Actually, there's four buttons, five buttons, many buttons. Uh, I very much appreciate everyone who does support the show. The two headline supporty features are the Patreon, which is the single most efficient, effective, and helpful way of supporting the show. You pledge a small dollar amount per episode released, uh, and at the end of the month, I get some income, which helps me pay the bills, which is much appreciated. Um, two shows a month exactly, so if you'd like to pledge $5, well, then you pledge $2.50 because it'll get multiplied by two. I say always two shows every month, one Apple, one photography. There's a plain old PayPal button, there's a Zazzle store, and then there are referrer links for Hover.com for really good domain hosting. Basically, if you need to buy a domain, if you go through that link, I will get a kickback for sending you that way. Uh, I do my own domains through Hover, so I'm I'm not asking you to do anything I wouldn't do. I recommend them genuinely. They are my domain registrar of choice. And also DigitalOcean, who are my virtual server provider of choice. Again, that link is only if you need to buy server hosting. Uh, it only I only get um, a commission if you actually purchase something. Uh, in the case of the um, DigitalOcean one, you actually get commission too for using my uh, link. So it's a win-win situation. But again, only if you actually need virtual server space. Is that any good to anyone? Please review the show on iTunes. Please tell your friends about the show. All of that stuff is excruciatingly helpful and very much appreciated. With all that said, I have been your host, Bart Bouchas. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. This is Mark Chappell of the Essential Mac and the Rampant Mumblings podcast. And this is Carl Madden of the Mac and Four Show podcast. You know what, Carl? No, nope, never met him. But it's funny how many people ask. No, no, no. I mean, you know what we should do? Get better writers? Well, that goes without saying. No, I think we should merge. Excuse me? Rumpet Mumblings, Essential Mac, Mac and Forth should merge. Sounds messy. No, no, no. It'll be good. We can still have all the incisive news, views and opinions of Rampant Mumblings and Essential Mac along with, well, whatever Mac and Forth has to offer. Hmm. And what should we call this new monster? Uh, I mean venture. Well, it's still essentially an Apple-related show, so why not... How do you like those apples? Catchy, but does it essentially sum up what an apple show should be about? All right, how about get your apples here, an apple a day, chatty apple, happy pie, oh, oh, just apple. No, we essentially need something that is more apple related. Monkey tennis! Huh? No, 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 we just need something essentially apple that lets people know we will essentially be discussing apple related things. You knuckleheads. Just call your new podcast the Essential Apple Podcast for when people have essentially run out of good podcasts to listen to. Should have gone with monkey tennis.